You're in the water loop. Hey everyone, this is Travis with Waterloop. I want to tell you about the Flume Smart Water Monitor that I use at my house. Flume is the perfect device for tracking your water usage in real time with your smartphone. You can see exactly how much water you're using with showers, toilets, sinks, appliances, outside irrigation, any way you use water. Flume lets you set daily, weekly, and monthly water budgets. It also alerts you if there's excessive water use and if it detects a leak. In fact, Right when I hooked up Flume at my house, it alerted me of a leak. I was losing a gallon of water every six minutes outside of my water line. Turns out it had been there for months, and I was wasting ridiculous amounts of water and money. I'm not sure when I would have found that without Flume. Flume is super easy to install. You wrap a band around your water meter, just like you put a watch on your wrist. Connect to Wi-Fi, download the app, and you're all set. No plumber needed. Now you can use promo code WATERLOOP to save 15% off of Flume at flumetech.com. With Flume, you'll never be surprised by a water bill again. Waterloop, Waterloop, Waterloop. Welcome to Waterloop. This is Travis. I am here with Carla Burns. She is a research and database analyst for the Environmental Working Group. Carla, thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Yeah, so I'm excited to talk to you about sunscreens. Um, and the reason I have this topic as uh, as an episode on Waterloop is because I, I definitely care a lot about outdoor recreation, water sports, all that kind of stuff. I'm I'm a surfer and paddler and swimmer. I live at the beach. I've spent a lot of time in the sun. Um, I lived in Hawaii for five years and got a lot of a lot of sun out there. Um, and so I really am interested, I've always been interested in the sunscreen work that Environmental Working Group puts out. Um, I'm very curious with all of the, the different projects and different issues that EWG kind of digs into, why, why does it take a look at sunscreens? That's a great question. We have been looking at sunscreens for quite some time now. About a decade ago, we first started our first annual guide to sunscreens in 2007. And we did it to help inform consumers know what's in the SPF products they're purchasing and to make educated decisions about choosing the best product. You know, when we first got started about 10 years ago, the products that were on the U.S. market were not as safe as they currently are mm. and had a lot of misleading claims. Like you may remember back in the day, things would say sunblock or waterproof when really there is no sunscreen that is truly waterproof or completely blocks the sun's rays. Um, so we've come a long way over the past 10 years, but we're continuing to put out this guide every year to keep consumers informed about what's in their SPF products. Yeah. So what are some of the public's misconceptions about sunscreen? What do they usually think, oh, this is what sunscreen is. I can just grab anyone off the shelf and here's what it does for me. Yeah. What, what's, what's kind of the error in people's thinking? Yeah, and I will admit that before I started going down the sunscreen rabbit hole and researching sunscreens, I was guilty of these misconceptions. So <laughs> no judgment here. Um, but I would probably say one of the biggest ones is that sunscreen products protect you from all types of skin damage and sun damage. So a fun fact is that sunscreen, the SPF, which is the sun protection factor, you may already know this, um, it's a measure of protection of sunburn or skin redness, but there is no correlation between the SPF value 
and protection against UVA rays. So UVB, I remember B for burn, and then UVA is more anti-aging, penetrates deeper skin cancer and wrinkles. So one misconception is, like you said, that every product out there on the market will protect you from everything, which unfortunately is not true um, currently in the U.S. marketplace. So uh, one SPF 50 is not equal to another SPF 50 necessarily and how they are going to protect your skin from these these types of rays, really. That's Yes. Yeah, and so I think we can d dig into this in a little bit here about UVA and UVB and how you look at that. Um, what are the other, I guess, aspects of sunscreen that Environmental Working Group looks at, you know, that you're concerned about, that you evaluate? You know, what, what are you studying? Yeah, there's two overall categories, I guess, that we can look at. So one is the actual ingredients that are used in the product and their associated health hazards. What will these ingredients do if they're put on your skin? How can this affect you, uh, your overall body burden of chemicals? The other one we look at is efficacy. Uh, UVA, UVB protection. Will this product protect your skin from sun damage, whether that be actual sun burns, you know, longer term potential risk for skin cancer, anti-aging things like wrinkles, um, sunspots, things like that. So we look at all products under those two categories and we include on every product page in the guide um, a handy little dial that measures um, from green to red, green being of course good or better, and red being not so good for both UVA, UVB concerns and also ingredient health hazards. Mm. Before we dive into those even, even more <laughs> deeply, I know that you all, you know, you put out this guide every year. It's kind of around Memorial Day, right? The 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 start of summer uh, in in American culture. Um, so, yep. how should people use the guide? What's kind of like the basics for if people want to use this tool to make better decisions about their sunscreen? Yeah, uh, there are so many sunscreens out there in the marketplace, and it can be overwhelming to decide. You know is the product I'm using going to protect me or not? So I think one, it's a great place where you can search for the sunscreens you're already using in your home when you're going out on the boats, when you're going to the beach or just for a walk around the block. Um, you can look that up and see readily if the product, how it scores for both health and UV. Another great thing is that you can choose a new product. So each year we put out a list of our top picks we call it our best list for both beach and sports sunscreens. We also do lip balms because it's important to not forget your lips. Um, and we also do daily moisturizers. And that's a great place to start if you're like, I need a new product. I don't know where to start. We also include, um, based on when we first found these products, the price point so that you can see, you know, I'm on a budget this year. You know, many people may be. Can I find a product that is safe and effective, but also doesn't break the bank? Um, but then some people may be looking for a different price point. So we include all that information in our best list. There's an option out there for everyone, adults, children, regardless of what your budget is. These products are readily available in the U.S. market. A lot of stores throughout the U.S. carry these brands. Yeah, I uh, just a couple days ago, I needed to kind of get some sunscreen for the for the season here, and I looked at your 2019 documents and kind of looked mm -hmm. looked what was on there, and then went to the store to see what I could find. It's interesting when you go to like a corner drugstore versus like a big 
you know, grocery store versus like a natural food store, you're going to find, mm-hmm. you know, a big, a big difference. I mean, I find sometimes there's stuff when I go to that corner drugstore like CVS or something, you know, some of it's starting to pop up a little more, but yeah. Uh, if you go to places like Whole Foods or whatever, you seem to have a lot more of the choices that are ranked high on your list. So, but they're out there. Um, mm-hmm. So, on the health side, um, what are the what are the main chemicals that are prevalent in sunscreen that people should be concerned about? Yeah, I would say the top one that comes to mind is oxybenzone. Um, you may be hearing this more and more over the past few years, there's been regulation, certain states and regions have actually banned the ingredient for use in their products. Um, it's very common. It's found in about 40% of the non-mineral sunscreens we looked at this year. Um, it is a skin sensitizer, so it can cause irritation and allergies. Um, there's also several studies out there linking it to hormone disruption, as well as the negative aquatic impacts. Um, There are some links to potential coral reef health harms. Um, That's not something that I look at specifically. I know you had a a previous Mm. uh, person on the podcast with the same last name, another scientist with Burns. Yeah, Yeah, you're my my first uh, same last name guest. I had had (laughs) Dr. John Burns from the University of Hawaii on talking about coral reef health. And one thing he talked about was oxybenzone and, you know, any correlation there between coral reef health and, and this chemical. Yeah. Yeah, um, no relation, but uh, <laughs> yeah. So I don't, I don't study the um, aquatic impact as much, but there, there are studies ongoing out there, and it is an ingredient that we're seeing still being used in the marketplace, even though it has these these negative health harms um, that are known both in the academic world and in the industry. Um, that's probably a big one to keep mm-hmm. an eye out for. Yeah, and so are sunscreens kind of divided into these two camps of of you know, non-mineral and mineral based? Is that kind of what's happened? And generally, like the mineral sunscreens are going to be healthier for you? Yeah, that's what we at EWG suggest is that consumers opt for the mineral based active ingredients, which are zinc oxide and titanium dioxide, um, compared to the what we call chemical or physical blockers, um, which are the oxybenzones, octanoxate, avobenzones, um, we definitely recommend choosing a mineral-based. There's less information out there um, about some of the quote-unquote chemical. Technically, everything is a chemical, but I'm saying this in terms of chemical active ingredients versus the physical. Um, Sometimes, for like oxybenzone, octanoxate, there are more academic studies out there showing that there are all these health harms linked to it. But there's also some of the chemical ones are lacking any type of safety data, whereas zinc oxide and titanium dioxide, there's a lot of academic information out there. There's a lot of studies and reports that do not link these to the same health harms um, that some of the chemicals do have. It's uh, I, I know like there's this big thing with people in the mineral versus non-mineral and how they apply, right? Like sometimes mm-hmm. the, the mineral sunscreens are thicker. They're kind of like harder to get on, takes you longer. You're going to kind of use more product. The other stuff though is like almost seems watery to me now. 
Um, and so I guess some people might be resistant to using mineral sunscreens because like, oh, it's just too, too tough to put it on, yada, yada, yada. You hear some of that stuff? Oh, yeah. And I know like, you know, back decades ago when zinc oxide was primarily used by, you know, the lifeguards and they just had the white stripes on their face and it wouldn't rub in at all. We've come a long way. Um, Formulators have, you know, had this new technology come out. There are mineral products that, yes, they may still be whitening and not rubbing as much, but there are plenty of options out there in the marketplace that do rub in if that's the look you are going for. Um, I would say what's best for me might not be the best for another person. You really have to try out different brands, different formulations, even within one brand may differ in how well they rub in. But we do also have a list of best beach and sport non-mineral products. So if someone is, you know, like you said, they do prefer the chemical actives, we do have a list of about 70 products that still meet our standards, Um, don't contain some of the ingredients of concern like oxybenzone, but do contain other chemical ingredients. And they still have that UVA and UVB protection. So we do put those options out there, you know, whatever works best for you. It's important that you wear sunscreen. So I wouldn't say if you can't find a mineral or you don't want to do a mineral sunscreen, opt for a chemical versus not wearing any type of sun protection. Absolutely. I really, I I feel like I've noticed over the past year or two that they have gotten easier to spread on. I'm sure the manufacturers are very aware of that concern and and work to address it. Um, Yeah. Going into this SPF and then the UVA, UVB. So what what is going to be protecting your skin from the sun then it's the uv you know what what are you looking for if that spf thing isn't really accurate yeah so uh broad spectrum protection is a is a good term to look for that usually indicates that the active ingredients are providing enough uva and uvb so the full spectrum of uv rays Um, Like I said, UVB is more associated with the burns. Um, UVA is more associated with penetrating deeper aging wrinkles. Um, So it's important to have both of those being protected from both rays. Um, Zinc oxide and avobenzone are the two active ingredients that are allowed in the U.S. that provide great UVA protection. So looking for those two ingredients in your product is a good way to start. Um, The term broad spectrum um, is another place to start, but primarily knowing what's in the product and making sure you have either zinc oxide or avobenzone in that product. The term broad spectrum, is that something that a, a manufacturer will put on their, their product, but there has to be criteria met to be able to claim that? Yeah, there there's some criteria. FDA sets it. Um, what we look for may not be as strict as what the FDA current regulations are. Um, so I would say it's more important to make sure you have zinc oxide and avobenzone. But yes, there are there is testing and regulations in place for that term. But there's a lot of other terms on packages that are not regulated <laughs> uh, and do not have a standardized definition um, that we see in a lot of products. So things like non-toxic, hypoallergenic, um, a lot of the free ofs that should indicate it's free of something, mm. but it doesn't guarantee that. Mm. Um, there's a few loopholes around that, which we can <laughs> talk about later. Um, yeah. What, but yeah, 
I mean, sometimes on sunscreen, I'm looking down at one now, you know, it's got like a, uh, recommended by the skin cancer foundation. Um, do you know what, what merits that seal and, and what that means? I, I don't know the okay. methodology and criteria yeah. specifically for that. Um, I'm assuming it's something very similar to what we do, where they look at um, actual active ingredients, the percentage that's in there, and the amount of protection. Um, But I can't speak for certain on that. Sure. Okay. Um, One of the things that kind of caught my eye is this SPF uh, issue and the idea that a high SPF um, is, is something you should be wary of. Why is that? Yeah, and I am one of those individuals that was guilty as charged before I started this work where I thought, you know, an SPF hundred <laughs> meant that I'm fully protected from everything. Yeah. Um, you could, but you could yeah. like fly into the sun and it would, yeah. right? it's like that strong. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but high, high SPF does not guarantee complete protection. Um, even the FDA has included this in some of their recent proposed legislation, um, that's still in the works that higher SPF values may overexpose consumers. You might think that you're protected just because you're not getting burned, which is providing that UVB protection, doesn't mean that you're not still getting the UVA rays on your skin and still penetrating. Um, So until there is legislation in the U.S. that requires a correlation between the SPF value and UVA protection, so making sure you are lowering Um, that potential for those deep penetrating rays alongside also not getting burned. But until that happens, there's not a guaranteed correlation. So yeah, you might not be getting burned, but you can still be getting harmful Mm. skin penetration from those rays. Um, Another misconception is that an SPF 100 provided double the amount of protection as an SPF 50. The difference is negligible. Um, SPF 50 blocks, I believe, around 98% if you round up um, of UVB rays, whereas an SPF 100 is 99%. Mm-hmm. So it's really a small difference, but those numbers look so big and such a, a jump in value that you assume it's much more protection and that I could stay out in the sun longer and don't need to reapply, which it's very important that people do reapply their products every two hours more often if you're getting wet or, you know, toweling off. Sure. So don't, don't rely on that number alone. Make sure you use other sun protection measures as well. Okay. Another topic to hit is the, the spray sunscreen, which has become super popular over the past bunch of years because it's, I think, the convenience, right? Like you just yeah. hose yourself down, hose the kids down in a matter of 10 seconds and you're done. Um, you guys recommend against sprays. Why is that? Yes, we do. There's there's two reasons. Um, the first is the actual application. So sprays, like you said, kids might be moving around, you're spraying them down quickly, but the proper amount of sunscreen needed to make sure that you're getting the equivalent protection that's listed on that product is at least one ounce. Um, it can vary depending on size of the person and how much um, of your body is exposed. But if you think of one ounce, it's like a shot glass, yeah. how much spray you have to really spray to get an even coating and get that proper amount of protection. Also, I have seen this many times on the beach. People are quickly spraying, and then you see a few hours later streaks of redness because they miss some spots. Yeah. So sprays are really hard to make sure you get an even coating throughout the body as well. And then third is the actual inhalation risk. 
especially on little ones. They've got little lungs. The sprays, there are certain ingredients that can get and penetrate into the deep lungs. So unless you really know what's in that product, we say, you know, avoid sprays altogether. Opt for a lotion or a stick. Mm. Um, I know some sticks sometimes can be a little sticky and hard to apply. So you have to really make sure you're rubbing that on. Um, but generally avoid spray products. You mentioned uh, seeing this stuff on the beach, and then you've been living this for like three years there uh, at, at Environmental Working Group. So you must just like not be able to to look at things the same again. You're always like <laughs> scrutinizing what's going on around you with sunscreen habits. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, we, we touched on this a little bit already, the trends with sunscreen. So are we seeing more you know, manufacturers develop products that are mineral-based, that are providing these... Um, more proven levels of protection, uh, you know, is, is where's the market going? Yeah. Based on the ones that we reviewed, which we assessed over 1300 products this year in this year's guide, uh, we've seen an uptick in the mineral based products, the zinc oxide, titanium dioxide, active ingredients. Um, surprisingly, but I'm very happy. We have seen a decrease in oxybenzone between this year's guide and last year's guide. This year was about 40% of the non-mineral products, and last year was around 60. Mm. Um, I can't say if that's due to the legislation, such as in Hawaii and Key West, which banned the use of that product, or if it's consumer awareness. You know, consumers are just pushing the marketplace towards more mineral. Um, but we hope to continue to see that trend of oxybenzone decreasing. Yeah, definitely. Uh, legislation. So I... I saw a couple things in your report about, you know, on the legislative front and what may have been in the works, what may be stalled out now. Um, what, what do you all hope to see come out of, I guess, Congress, um, if, if states don't do it, to make sunscreen safer for people? Yeah. So the FDA actually proposed an updated monograph last year in 2019. It was supposed to be finalized in November, but it was postponed. Um, if that monograph were adopted as it were written without any amendments, um, it would have ensured that a lot of the sunscreen on the marketplace would be safer and more effective. Um, it had higher standards for UVA protection. It capped high SPF product values at 60. Um, and there were some ingredient safety requirements. Um, but unfortunately for us U.S. consumers, that monograph has not yet passed um, there was some language recently included in the CARES Act that was passed earlier this year. Um, but right now that monograph is still on hold, so things remain status quo. Mm. W- but we would like to see that monograph passed, you know, capping the SPF values, making sure that that UVA protection correlates to the UVB protection that's required on the label. Good stuff. Uh, last question is... Um, Aside from sunscreen, you all put put out some recommendations for things people should do to just minimize their sun exposure. Um, I do a lot of this stuff myself because I spend so much time in the sun, you know, wearing a hat, wearing sunglasses, wearing like a long sleeve kind of shirt and all that stuff. Also going earlier in the day, later in the day. I guess those are a lot of the tips you would you would have for, <laughs> for people, right? But uh, yeah, what, what do you say, you know, to people generally, here's how you should, should uh, take care of your sun exposure? Yeah. Um, like you said, most importantly, don't rely on sunscreen alone. Um, research shows that sunscreen in combination with other sun protection 
matters um, will reduce, can reduce your risk of skin cancer. So like you said, try and cover up as much as possible, wearing a t-shirt, a hat, protecting your eyes and lips. I think that's something people sometimes forget. Try to wear sunglasses, use a lip balm with SPF if you're going to be out in the sun, Um, avoiding that peak midday sun, like you said, early morning, later in the evening. Sometimes that's really hard, you know, if you're on vacation or it's summertime. (laughs) So try to make shade if you can't find shade. Um, Sometimes you can just use towels or an umbrella or try and stay under a tree. And then especially if you have little ones, make sure they're covered up, opting for a sun hat for the little infants and toddlers, um, and making sure that you are reapplying that sunscreen every two hours or more often if needed. Yeah. And my, my other tip to people would be, you know, uh, go once a year to a dermatologist and have them, have them check, uh, if you have anything of concern happening on your skin. Um, it's really, really important to get ahead of those things. So Carla, super, super information, really appreciate it. Um, for for all the water people, uh, that listen and and watch the podcast, uh, encourage them to get good sunscreen, follow the EWG advice. So thanks so, so much. No problem. Thanks for having me again. It was fun. Waterloop, Waterloop, Waterloop. Thank you to the sponsor of this episode, the Flume Smart Water Monitor that tracks your home's water use 24-7, alerting you to excessive water use and leaks. Use promo code Waterloop now for 15% off at flumetech.com. You're in the Waterloop. You're in the Waterloop.